Facebook. What's up, folks? We're back. I'm back. We're in the U.S., and it feels great to do this show again. Emulsion, we're back. I'm pumped. Here we go. Uh, we're still not sponsored, so you got to deal with a little bit of self-promo from me before we get started, but that's great for you because since we've had the last, since we've last spoken, I've had a ton of content go up on my YouTube channel, pretty much documenting most of my travels through Thailand and Singapore. Uh, there's still one more vlog from Singapore that's going to go up sometime this week, so stay tuned for that. But there's also an India movie in the works. I'm very, very excited for that to transpire. I can't promise any timeline on it yet because there's a couple of other pieces working uh, on that as well now that I'm home in Seattle. Not necessarily on the movie, but on what I have going on going forward in general. So welcome to The Emulsion. Uh, this is episode six. I am your host, Justin Kana. It's normally my job here to run the curation station on some facts and opinions of mine that, uh, it's basically everything that mattered to me in the last week of the food slash restaurant slash chef slash fine dining sphere that I live and breathe in. Uh, but at the end, you always get a little something, something cool that I found outside of the restaurant realm. So stay tuned for that, but let's get into it, shall we? The... First story of the day that I want to cover involves some chef shuffles that have recently happened, and the two that I want to cover here today involve Jonathan Benno and James Kent. So right off the bat, there's a ton of chefs out there, right? And they're always constantly moving around from kitchen to kitchen or city to city or even country to country sometimes. I've done that move, so... But the reason that I want to talk about this is because they're both pretty well-known and more or less legends, I guess, in the New York City dining scene. Um, Jonathan Benno, of course, the old chef de cuisine of Per Se, who took up the reins at Lincoln, a beautiful space uh, with an Italian concept. And then, of course, James Kent, formerly of 11 Madison Park, who is the executive chef of The Nomad, which if you haven't stopped in when you're in NYC, definitely go for brunch. I went in September and had a really great experience. Um, They're both leaving their respective places basically to pursue their own solo projects, that's basically all the information we have right now. I can't really cover more than that here because we don't have that knowledge yet. They've released it more or less on their own social channels, but as far as uh, what's next for them, we can't really pinpoint that. But much like we did with Dave Barron a few weeks ago, I'll definitely make sure to keep my eyes on these movers and shakers and make sure that anything that they do gets brought to you through the emulsion. Next up, some super sad news. I posted this article on my Facebook page while I was away, um, but I want to cover it here on the, on the show so that we can maybe start a conversation. Um, and that's the story that Lucky Peach, the unique and sometimes controversial food magazine, is going to cease printing after two more issues that they're going to release um, between this point in time and May of this year. And I, I have to start with saying that I really, really love this magazine when it started. I've got nine, nine, I think it's nine issues here on my bookshelf sitting next to me, but most of them are early ones. Uh, it's pretty crazy. I think the first issue goes for a ridiculous amount of money. It's in, it's, it's definitely over $100 for the first issue because that's what it was. It was like a, a, a niche, limited print, uh, well-designed periodical. It was different, and I think that's why people liked it. It was different artwork, asking like chefs to write, people that don't like people outside of the industry to contribute. It wasn't like... Um, they were basically doing things on food that would never survive in something like Bon Appetit or Food and Wine. Um, 
they weren't trying to please the home cook. They were trying to, it was for the professional chef. And that's why, in my opinion, that it, it won and why it did so well. It's goal, uh, it's a goal that I have with this podcast for sure is to do something that pleases the professional chef as opposed to the home cook. Um, and it inspires me a lot. I, I really enjoyed following along with what they were doing and reading the articles and getting in touch with people in the industry that were had different opinions and different thoughts and would kind of bring a conversation to the table. It's very, very sad to see it go. Why is it going? You have to kind of get a little bit more background information about who runs the show, and that's basically uh, Peter Meehan and um, David Chang and a gentleman by the name of Chris Ying, who has basically taken a back seat um, to the whole project recently. Um, but they have a partnership, and in that partnership, David Chang and his company Momofuku basically hold a majority. So in the New York Times interview, Meehan said, they are a restaurant company, I'm quoting now, that, quote, they are a restaurant company and we are a media company and we couldn't always find the same page, end quote. And to me, that's sad because I only see positives in marrying the two media and restaurants and food. Um, Lucky Peach has had uh, 30,000 print subscribers with 22 issues published and with those two that will be released and that will put basically the final count at an even 24. Uh, and another really interesting point the New York Times article brought up in the interview is that the stats about how the magazine was growing. So print subscribers rose 20% from 2016, and advertising sales in the first quarter of 2016 were up 127%. I'm quoting uh, Peter Meehan again, quote, the lesson here isn't that print is doomed, end quote. And to me, this 100% makes sense, right? If you have a super niche and targeted audience where you publish ads against them in a publication that these people not only read basically from cover to cover because they're not cheap. The the magazines are like, I think, $12 or something an issue. Uh, but they'll also way more likely share these issues with their friends. Uh, so it's a huge attention asset. And anyone would be really, really smart to advertise in Lucky Peach, especially if you're in the industry. Uh, I can't speak to how much they were charging for their pricing, but the quality of reach you get is is pretty amazing. Uh, I'm also speaking as a reader and a consumer who has definitely purchased something or at least looked into something because of an ad in Lucky Peach because uh, I don't think that Lucky Peach would be the publication that would just take any uh, advertising. They were a little bit picky, and then you know at least you're getting advertised at from companies that are doing something at least worth your while. Another struggle that they seemed to have uh, was having a San Francisco-based office, and then Momofuku was headquartered in New York City, so that was a little bit of a long-distance relationship that floundered a little bit, but the last issue for them will be a 200-page special edition issue, and they're going to continue to publish uh, their fourth book in a seven-figure book deal that they signed, and this book is going to be all about eggs, so if you're into that, keep an eye out. Moving along, I want to talk about a concept that I'm convinced any chef in America would love to work for or open a franchise of or at least be some sort of a part of, and that is Mark Ladner's latest project, Pasta Flyer. Why do I say that anyone would want to cook there? I'm convinced that there isn't a chef I know that doesn't like to cook pasta. And the great part about this project, Pasta Flyer, is its simplicity. So it's basically a concept of... Uh, you put in an order and you're basically getting fresh pasta that's cooked for you within 10 seconds and your order comes up in less than three minutes. That's what they're claiming. 
It's a super delicious sounding menu. The sides sound great as well. Uh, they're doing garlic dots, spicy broccoli rob, fried cauliflower, all these things that uh, not only chefs love to eat, but chefs get excited about cooking and serving to people. Um, maybe it's the, also the price point of cooking basically a full meal for someone with the check average between uh, 8 and $10, which is also great. Anyone can feel good about serving people food at that price point. Um, Mark Ladner, of course, coming from running the show at Del Posto. He's more or less a legend in the pasta-making sphere as well as the New York dining sphere. But let's keep our eyes on this concept because I really see it expanding super quickly uh, outside of its Greenwich Village location super soon. We got a question in from Sebastian. What are garlic dots? I'm going to pull that up on their website here because I want to give you the full really, really nice description. Uh, So we have garlic dots here listed at $2. It is fried dough warmed in garlic butter. Basically, uh, what us people in the U.S. associate it with is basically pizza shops will take, like, the old, not old, but just, like, leftover pizza dough, make it into little, like, either squares or dots, and then dip it in garlic butter or garlic sauce or um, toss it in a little bit of Parmesan, and you can get kind of like a bag of them on the side with your pizza. Uh, so that's pretty, it's delicious. They're selling it for $2. Um, and another point that I really want to cover here is they're also, uh, catering to, um, gluten-free diners as well with a gluten-free penne pasta that they have listed on their menu now. Mark Ladner has been really focused on developing that recipe so that it's super, super solid. Uh, it is made with corn and rice, no wheat. Next up, uh is a question, basically, that I want to ask for all of you listening. Yes, you. And that's basically about the 2017 World's 50 Best release that came out this week. Uh, It's not the full list. It is uh, the 51 through 100, which is a little bit silly because they call themselves the World's 50 Best list. And the reason I want to ask the question about it is because I'm kind of torn on taking this list seriously anymore, right? Who cares? Do you care? I want to know. Uh... It's almost, it's so predictable that it's almost a little bit sad. Like, you see these these restaurants where, basically, if you get a little bit of hype, you know that the people that are going, that are voting, are going to go visit, and then they cast their vote for this place. And we're going to get into this in a second. But, basically, the punchline is a couple people debuted, a couple people went down in ranking, and a couple people fell off. Like, it's basically what you'd expect from um, a ranking, and I really struggle with this list and the, the current state of talking about restaurants because I'm a guilty referencer, right? So I used this freaking list when I was in Singapore and Thailand to basically figure out where to have dinner. So in my mind, it's more of a question of whether or not you're on the list as opposed to like where you rank because it's irrelevant, right, to me because it's hard because there's various levels of being impressive at the restaurants that I ate in, in India. So... I would use this list to look after I had made the reservations and I got some recommendations from some people, um, and I wouldn't rank them in the same order that the World's 50 Best ranked them in. So Indian Accent, who I think is currently number 30 on World's 50 Best Asia, was the least impressive fine dining meal we had when we were in Delhi. Uh, there's this place called Dum Pukt, which serves pretty much old school like banquet-style food uh, based like in Indian tradition, of course, but... It was more delicious, like, at least a couple times over for me. 
uh, service was also better. So for me, it's pulling from like a place of necessity because food bloggers aren't really what they used to be. The food, the, like the food world is so global now. It's very hard for one person to be, or like one company to be in all of these restaurants at once. So it's coming from someone who, um, also has heard about the corruption that goes on with the voting process that happens with these, this list. I'm not entirely sure I can talk about it, but that aside, I basically have a, a really hard time taking the specific number ranking ranks seriously. And what you should know, and what's that's definitely public, is that most of the voters have very limited time in individual cities. So you might have like four days in Singapore or like three days in Bangkok, which basically means a limited number of meals. You can't go to dinner like three times in one night, especially when you're having these super long, drawn-out tasting menus and your stomach only has so much space. Uh, But the fact that these restaurants were recommended to these people that know that they only have limited amount of time and then they choose to go there means that they're basically worth your time checking out in general because these people know that they have very limited amounts of time, so they really seek like really uh, solid advice on where they should eat. So I use it. Uh, I'm a little bit torn about my use of it and how seriously people take it and how how they throw around rankings um, and more or less brag about it. Uh, Would I take their advice? Yes and no. Is it necessary? Maybe. I'd love to know what you think, and that's why I'm posing it as a question. Um, So let's stay tuned for the basically the top 50 list that'll drop on April 5th. That'll be their full 50 through number one. Uh, Osteria Francescana currently holds the number one spot. Um, We will see what happens there. Let's transition next to a story uh, about a set of awards that I actually respect a little bit more, and that's the news of the James Beard Awards 2017 that have announced their finalists. Uh, we covered this a few weeks ago when they were basically just semi-finalists, so I'm not going to go crazy into the story. I'm going to leave a link in the show notes so you can check out the full list and all the respective subcategories that go along with that. I will absolutely cover this again after the awards take place so we can chat about the winners. Um, I really hope that Olmstead gets Best New Restaurant just because, uh, Greg Backstrom's really been crushing it lately. Lastly, and our final story of the day that's not industry related, uh, that has to do with a rapper that I just got turned on to yesterday, and that his name is Logic. He was a guest on um, the Ask Gary V show. If you haven't watched that on YouTube, a lot of really, really valuable information on entrepreneurship and business and uh, social media. But there was a lot of really great info in that episode if you want to check it out. But it's also a great insight into the rapper Logic himself outside of kind of like the cocky rapping spit and lyrics stuff that he does on the day to day. It just shows that he's a really good dude, uh, down to earth, solid, solid guy. Um, but I, and I'm honestly a little bit of a, a, ashamed that I haven't heard of him because his stuff straight fire. I listen to a lot of rap and hip hop. If you know me in any sort of way. Um, and my status on him is currently obsessed. I, I wrote basically, basically this entire podcast listening to him. It's sick kitchen prep music, project crushing music, editing music, cruising around music, anything. His flow is great. The interludes in his albums are hilarious. And at basically just 27 years old, he's a huge creative inspiration for me. And I can only aspire to kind of be his level of success when I'm his age. Check out his most popular song on Spotify right now, Flexicution. That's a pretty good uh, intro to him. I've linked that in the show notes as well. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I also dig the song Wrist, which is from one of his earlier albums. 
just check out Logic. I hope you'll enjoy it. So with that, this has been episode six of The Emulsion. We've had a little travel hiatus, but we're back. And I want to give a shout out to Tim Ferriss, who inspired me basically to shoot six episodes of, of this project. And that's today, where we've hit that kind of milestone. I'm excited about that. Um, he, The advice he basically gives with that is if you're going to start a new sort of project show video series, do six episodes, commit to six, see where your head's at after that, and I'm couldn't be more excited to continue this project. Before you head off, I want to give you a little prelude to next week's episode. I don't normally do that because I normally write it as the news stories comes out, but uh, I actually have something that we're going to cover that I'm really excited to share with you, and that's our first guest on the podcast. Uh, Dave Hadley, who is a good friend of mine, we covered him in episode three after he had just won uh, the Food Network show Chopped. Um, he's going to be on the show. I can't promise exactly what we're going to talk about yet, uh, but that's the great part for you is that you can kind of shoot your questions this way and I will make sure that they get asked. Make sure you're following me on Facebook so you stay up to date and leave a comment with any stories you might want covered next week as well. In addition to the question I posed earlier about the world's 50 best, uh, list 51 through 100, I guess I'd like you to kind of share this with someone who needs a little bit more industry knowledge in their life. To me, that's one of the biggest reasons I started this show is to spread the news in a very digestible format and to basically bring value to those who are already interested in the industry, making sure that you get the stories that uh, more or less hold a little bit of traction. They aren't trying to be clickbaity or anything like that. With that, I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks in advance. I'm Justin Kana. Have a good one.